The point is, in my opinion, kind of the best process for trust is to look at something, you know, vet it, think you like it, test it, and see how it performs. And then that's that's trust by performance. So, you know, I, I would say it's, it's likely that most first-time investors in our programs do not fully trust us. The amount that they put in is a test and a hope <laughs> and a vote for the potential of trust. And for what it's worth, I, I don't really go into this at all, but, you know, we know that. So we know how important it is to set realistic expectations that you can achieve because as soon as you do what they hoped you would, then trust is earned. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Ryan Smith from Elevation Capital Group and the Elevation Fund. Today, we're talking about some tough lessons that he's learned along the way as a mobile home park and self-storage investor. He and his team, his funds, have a considerable real estate portfolio, a a huge amount of experience. And we get into that today. You're going to learn just how much experience he's pulling from to to teach us today. You're going to learn some very important lessons about investing in mobile home parks, self-storage, and really scaling up as a real estate investor. The keys that helped him go and grow his real estate investments. These are important for both passive and active real estate investors, because these lessons apply across the board. If you do enjoy the show, we ask that you take a quick second, go to your favorite podcatcher, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit the subscribe button so that you'll get future episodes delivered right to your phone and you'll catch more great information from our awesome, experienced real estate guests. If you do enjoy the show and you're an iTunes user, an Apple user, go to, please go to the Apple Podcasts app, leave us a rating and review, five stars if you would, very much appreciate it, It helps other people learn about the show. I love reading your reviews and I appreciate it so, so much. If you're new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote, I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator, about real estate with passive investors and split the return. Love learning new things like from our great guest, Ryan Smith today. You're gonna learn some great things as well. Without any further ado, Here we go with Ryan from Elevation Capital Group. Ryan, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Great to talk with you. I'm a little envious of what is obviously nice weather. You're sitting outside in in Orlando, at least compared to where I am in in Virginia. For our listeners out there who aren't familiar with you and your business, can you give us a a quick intro about what you do, your fund, your company, and, and all that stuff? Sure. So, um, I mean, what I'll start, what we do, you know, we own mobile home parks and self-storage facilities. It's, it's pretty, pretty simple. I, you know, our job is to, to buy things that are not as good and make them better. There's a thousand ways we do that. We do it for the benefit of our investor community who were, we consider ourselves incredibly blessed to be able to serve a lot of great relationships we've had for a long time and people we deeply respect. I get to do it with my wife who we started the company a number of years ago. So we work, um, together, not only in, you know, parenting our kids, uh, we have four kids, but get to work together in that capacity, which is, uh, which is, I, I will say truly wonderful. I have people will say, I, I could never work with my, my spouse. And, you know, that's a whole, I don't ever ask why. And, you know, that's a whole, <laughs> you know, I'm not qualified to dive into that response, you know, necessarily, but, uh, I consider myself incredibly fortunate to be able to work with my spouse. So, um, you know, in terms of background, you know, we both started, uh, a long time ago, and real high points. You know, I was an entrepreneur. I started uh, three companies as a teenager. I was a coder. 
it's it's kind of random. Taught myself to code at eight, fell in love with it. I ended up learning 13 languages and, you know, I would find any reason to write software for anybody. So, um, you know, as a teenager, I'd go to a business and this was in just by to orient you, this was in the eighties, late eighties, early nineties, I'd go to a business and, you know, that there was an obvious opportunity for software to improve that person's business. I'd go home, code an app, put it on a desk, take it to the business owner. So ended up starting a software company um, as a teenager. It did cool. very well. I had about 140,000 users, um, you know, mostly real estate investors sold that. And um, basically that was some seed capital to get started. That's awesome. Wow. And you're doing some, yeah. some very cool things today. And there are a few um, I don't want to say too many, but there are some guys in this business model doing mobile home parks and self-storage. And what I found is it's a mix between uh, folks who raise a capital and go operate as well. And then folks who raise a fund and you know invest in other operators. Can you tell us more about your specific model and uh, you know how you guys achieve a return? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start by kind of our focus, which to a degree dictates the model. So, you know, for us, you know, we, and I, I say we understand the value of the dollar, not saying that other people do not understand the same thing, but uh, but we, we really um, understanding the value of the dollar. And so let me explain what I mean by that. So assuming a 5% cap rate, you know, there's a whole, it can go to 10 or eight or six or, you know, the whole big deep discussion on cap rates. Um, but let's just say 5% cap rate, $1 of NOI a month is 12 a year divided by 0 0.05, 5% is $240. So our focus every day is we, we hunt for dollars. We find ways to add dollars of NOI to the, to the operating picture of each asset. So with the value of a single dollar being worth 240 in our respective pockets, that's a, it's a pretty valuable dollar. And not only do we want to create dollars that are worth 240, we wanna find as many of them as possible. So in my view, when you look at hiring, let's say a third-party property management company, or basically you farm out the operations to somebody other than yourself. Okay, so let let me equate that in this way. Let's say you have two dollars of gross revenue and a fifty percent operating expense ratio on a monthly basis. Okay, so two dollars a month of gross revenue, a dollar of NOI, which is worth two forty annual. So um, to a third-party manager who might make I don't know, call it five percent management fee on that $2, which is 10 cents, right? So the mm -hmm. value of a third party on that dollar is 10 cents. The value to me is 240. For me, it's, it's who's going to value the dollar more, the guy who gets 10 cents or the guy who gets 240. So <laughs> to me, it's, it's, it's not, yeah. It, yeah. For the, for the benefit of your listeners, that's a rhetorical question, you know, cause, <laughs> you, know, cause you know, it's, but, but when you quantify it in terms of value and, and, you know, so to me, I would argue given the knowledge of that value, um, I am more motivated to find that value than the guy making 10 cents. So for us, we believe, you know, we believe in having operations in house. So we, we were, you know, we're not a capital raising company, we acquire assets that we can add value to, and we respond to that opportunity with a capital raise or not, if there's no opportunity. Um, but ultimately, in terms of integration, we also manage our own assets. Nice, nice. And I, I like that model. Now, one of the things, uh, one of the thought processes or, um, I guess, principles maybe in this this real estate investing business generally is that I that I believe in is if you haven't learned some tough lessons, if you hadn't, haven't learned something the hard way, then 
you either haven't been in the business very long or you're not being honest, right? Not you, just, you know, again, yeah. the, the royal you, right? We, everybody. And, you know, I wanted to talk today about some hard lessons, you know, that you've learned in this business. You've bought quite a bit of property and, you know, I'm sure there's a lot that we can learn uh, from your experiences in buying mobile home parks and self-storage and you've been in the market a while. So you mind sharing a couple of tough lessons with us that uh, you know, hopefully sure. we can learn from and not repeat ourselves. Sure. And I, and I'll, and I'll try to, you know, I guess my um, I'll try to, I can go broad or specific, you know, more conceptual or pragmatic, but to me, you know, I, I can give you all the things I wouldn't do again, but that may leave your listener saying, okay, I know what not to do, but what then shall I do that mm -hmm. takes me in the positive direction? So I guess, you know, to, to both answer the question, but also maybe be a little instructive and, and encouraging in a certain direction. To me, you know, our business is incredibly relationship driven. I mean, incredibly relationship driven. So anytime you involve people and relationships in your business in whatever capacity, you know, your people are messy, you know, so there's, there's wonderful aspects. Some of the best blessings in our business have come through relationship. Some of the most challenging have also come from relationship. Um, but that's, you know, to me, you know, you, you kind of take one with the other. So on the challenging aspect, you know, we, you know, we've had, you know, people we've, we've partnered with and entrusted over the years who ultimately didn't uphold, you know, their, their, you know, part of the bargain and, you know, you have to separate or consciously uncouple or however, you know, somebody wants to refer to that process as it's no less pleasant, no matter what uh, you, you call it. But, um, and you know, those have been, you know, challenging, um, you know, occurrences, but, you know, have been perfectly fine. And, um, but on the, the, on the flip side of that coin, I mean, we have so many deep relationships that we have, you know, for now, you know, I mean, 10, 15 years strong that continue to grow. And, you know, um, I mean, it's just been, it's been a blessing on both sides of that. Um, so that's, that's more the conceptual, you know, I, I think, you know, as, as much as you're looking at transactions and real estate and numbers and performas and underwriting spreadsheets, it's a people business. I mean, it's, it's all about relationship and people and, you know, I would encourage people to never forget that um, because that then you're losing the side of what really matters in the business. Um, but specifically, uh, to pick a, a specific example, I, mean, I can go back to one of our first mobile home park deals we did well over a decade ago, probably 15, 16 years ago. And, you know, we were buying an off-market property uh, from a private seller and, you know, he grossly misstated his, his numbers, you know, but we were fortunate. It was unpleasant. We we bought the park, and and after buying the park, it was I think it was two weeks until we realized you know the numbers were not um, accurate that he represented to us, and um, and so as part of our diligence process, we had him sign and certify the financials. You know that he you know that they would actually certify the financials that they were true and accurate representations uh, of fact. And um, at the end of the day, it was not, and so um, that was leverage we needed. Um, and from a financial lens, we actually came out ahead. Um, and I'll brief how um, in that transaction, I, I can't recall the specific numbers. I think we bought the park for 430000 off recollection. And I think it was, uh, I think he was carrying an $80,000 second on it. He was seller financing us 80000 on it. And so as part of the resolution, I think the difference, the disparity in value based on his misrepresentation of fact was probably $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 difference. 
So to settle the dispute, he forgave the full eighty thousand um, dollar second. So we we went from being call it forty thousand dollar in the hold of you know ahead. So we came out ahead, but at the same time, it was it was nonetheless uh, you know it, it was still unpleasant, I should say. Sounds like it, and I guess to you know in in my investments so far right we always expect our numbers to at least be a little different than the seller's numbers right if we if we sure. went into any situation where our numbers are you know one or a couple percent different you know and and turn that into litigation then we never we never really close any deals because there's always going to be some difference so how did you yeah. make that decision i mean you're talking tens of thousands of dollars so it's not a small figure but there must have yeah. been some I assume there must have been some calculation in your mind that, hey, we think if we go after them in court or, you know, something, we think we can, we we have a good case. Like, how do you, as a business owner, decide to go down that route rather than take the lump? Yeah. I mean, you got them to sign, but it's going to be enforceable. It's going to cost you money to go to court, blah, blah, blah. How do you yep. go through all that? decision-making process. Yeah. So, so there's a couple of different things and I'm also taking where kind of the lessons I've learned since and applying it on that instance, you know, 15 years ago, which is kind of, um, you know, maybe inaccurate of that time, but in short, um, you know, the way we came about learning about it was after acquiring the, the park, it was pretty, it was obvious the revenue, you know, was not what had, um, either this month for some reason, it just changed. <laughs> and, you know, and then we started talking and this was also a time where we would hire the, hire the former managers as, as our managers. We do not do that now. Um, but we, we did at this time. And so we, we showed them, we said, well, you know, why is it off? And they're saying, well, what do you mean? It's why is it off? This is the way it normally is. And we start going through the numbers and they're like, oh yeah, it's never done that. And it's, that's not, you know, blah, 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 blah. So it became pretty obvious, pretty fast. Um, you know, we had more than more than a reasonable belief that it was misrepresented and, and, you know, enough to be worth, you know, bickering over, but, but in short, you know, we, you know, the, anyway, the, we didn't litigate, we sent a, we sent a demand letter. Um, and at the end of the day, we would have, um, or that's the risk he would have taken to find out if we would have, and we would have, um, and he didn't want litigation. And so he, he settled it and, and we came out ahead at least, and he may say he came out, I don't know, but we, we were happy with the outcome. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Every, everybody's happy with the outcome and yeah, sure. This, this topic of relationships, you know, in real estate, generally speaking, uh, you know, even, even after, you know, a few years investing in real estate myself, it just, it's always constantly reinforced about how important relationships are. But, you know, I think when the, the tough question is, when do you trust somebody enough to go into business with them. What are your thoughts about, you know, forming new partnerships or bringing new people in and building that level of trust and comfort with them before you, you know, move forward with a, a transaction or, or trusting with trusting them with uh, some part or aspect of the operation of your business? Yeah, no, it's, it's hard and it depends on what aspect of the business. So I'll, I'll give you a couple. So to me, there's the, there's the process of earning trust, which, you know, and then there's the process of keeping trust, you know, so it's, um, you know, one is there's kind of a point of inflection where you can say, I can trust this person now, but there, there's, there's ongoing components to that, to maintain it. So it's not, you know, once had always kept kind of 
um, kind of concept. So to me, I mean, from a purely LP standpoint, we deal with a lot of investors who, um, you know, their, their biggest issue is trust, right? And, and I, I acknowledge that. I, I don't try to bridge it. There's nothing I can do. It's not my problem. It, it's not my problem. It's not my, I mean, if there's something I can do, stand on my head, jump up and down, you know, the, the point is, in my opinion, <laughs> kind of the best process for trust is to look at something, you know, vet it, think you like it, test it and see how it performs. And then that's, per- that's trust by performance. So, you know, I, I would say it's, it's likely that most first time investors in our programs do not fully trust us. The amount that they put in is a test and a hope <laughs> and a vote for the potential of trust. And for what it's worth, I, I don't really go into this at all, but you know, we know that. So we know how important it is to set realistic expectations that you can achieve because as soon as you do what they hoped you would, then trust is earned. But um, trust in that capacity, you know, typically with an investor community, you, you don't typically earn their trust and then they invest. You know, and that and that's a huge responsibility. I mean, that, that, that it, it, it cannot be overstated how huge of a responsibility that is um, because trust lies in the balance and your performance is, is what, what governs. It's, that's a, it's a huge deal. You know, as far as partnerships, meaning like business partnerships, those are, those are slower, yeah, at least for us, Jamie and I, we don't, we don't jump into things quickly. We have a, you know, there's in our firm today, there's three people, Jamie, myself, and, a, and another gentleman named Brian, um, who's been in the business for 50, 52 years. Um, it started in 1970. Unbelievable. So anyway, point being is that relationship has been developed and cultivated through kind of organic means. We, you know, we met probably 15, 16, you know, something like that 15 years ago. And we, it, there was no expectation when we met that anything ever would come of it. You know, I think I had a thousand units or so, and he had 55,000 when we met. I mean, you know, yeah. Dang. So there was no expectation of any kind of long-term partnership. It's just, you know, it was, I just fascinated by him and really respect him. And I don't know what his answer would be, but he feels the same way for, you know, for other reasons. But the point is it's been a great, great partnership and we really like working together. Nice. So in the time you've been in the, you know, mobile home park and self-storage space and in a real estate business, you know, things have shifted, right? We're, we're in a different market today than we, were a few years ago, uh, you know, considering coronavirus, right? Every there's kind of been a, a push toward storage and mobile home parks for you know obvious eviction moratorium and lien law related reasons. But also, capital's gotten cheaper, cap rates have gone down. Like there are a lot of things that have changed from you know, ten years ago or, or what have you. What is your expectation for the next say you know if you get your crystal ball out right the next say three to five years in those those uh asset classes like what are your thoughts so i I think i mean my this is purely speculative but you know fundamentally we don't see any material change to the asset class from uh really from a supply demand standpoint you know we we think on the mobile home park side we think um supply will be constrained by the stigma and continue to be you know there's it has been that way for the last 20 years. We think that'll persist. I don't think there's going to be any massive proliferation of new mobile home parks and, you know, they're being built on every corner kind of, I don't, I don't see that happening um, because of technology disintermediation, um, which is what technology does. Um, you know, we don't see a, a demand side change. We think supply will be constrained. We think demand will continue to grow. And I say that fortunately and unfortunately, 
um, both both sides of that. Um, you know, fortunately for the business, but unfortunate for society that I think that that might happen. Um, but I'm I'm glad to be at least part of a solution uh, to serve that what I think will be a growing population. On the storage side, I think supply will continue to proliferate. You know, there'll be new supply. You know, we can, we all can name a city we've been to, and there's new storage being built. Um, we're really picky on where we buy. Um, we like to buy in in fairly moated areas, um, what we call moated areas, uh, where it's very difficult to develop or build. So anyway, I think I think there will be a lot of capital continually being deployed in storage, uh, new construction, new supply. I think demand will also continue to grow. Right now, we're approaching nine feet per person nationally as a national average. The pro- there are some projections that say it'll be 12 feet per person. Wow. Um, by 2030, it was three feet per person in, in the 90s. Um, so when you look at that, and then you look at baby boomers moving from big to small, new home starts are generally smaller. Average American, um, 10% of Americans use storage. 30% of millennials use storage. <laughs> really? So uh, <laughs> interestingly, as the trend, as, as, as populations, you know, as you look at the segmentation, younger populations use storage more, uh, which is, but they're active users. They're, they're storing their kayaks and their, their active gear, whatever they, you know, so that's positive. You know, coronavirus has been incredibly helpful in a lot of ways and that, you know, now you're schooling your kids in your home, you're turning your garage into a gym, which is closed. And so now all that stuff in the extra bedroom and the garage has to, you know, move someplace else and storage is a solution. So I think th- this is a much longer answer than you're asking for, but in the long run, I think both product types will do quite well. Um, you know, between now and, you know, now and then call it over the next 10 years, it really comes down to managing risk, um, keeping our debt levels conservative. We generally acquire at 50% leverage loan to cost. Um, so we're, we can get, you know, in some cases, 70, 80%, but we choose 50, uh, cause that's conservative. You know, we're picky about the type of debt we put on the properties. We're picky on how we manage and locations. And anyway, point being is it's, you know, we, you know, we try to manage our risk in the meantime. Nice. So for, uh, if I can uh, translate a few of those things, the sure. foot per person numbers are the demand levels in, uh, across the country and in individual markets. Typically what you hear the demand is n- there's a nine square foot per capita on average in most markets, but in you know, speaking with a number of uh, storage investors, it's, it seems like there are some markets where the demand is significantly higher. So that, that average is really playing like an average kind of trick, right? Averages can be, uh, deceiving mm-hmm. They're tricky statistic. Yep. Yeah. 87.3% of statistics are made up on the spot. I hear. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I believe that yes. right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Ryan, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Ooh, gosh. I'd say related. <laughs> theme of the day, relationships. Um, investing in, in you know, quality, authentic relationships, and, and, and it is truly. So to give you a, do you want me to give you a blurb on that, or is that Please, just as simple as a one? Okay. Love so it. So when – so I – make a real long story short, I had a friend of mine in my early twenties who watched Jamie and I build, he was watching us build our business. He was 30 years older than us. And he said one day, he's like, you know, I really want to introduce you to a good friend of mine. And, um, he owns 55,000 storage units and he's fifth largest owner of storage in the U S and would you like to meet this gentleman? I mean, 
yes. I, of I mean, we, yeah. Um, we, we come from blue, Jamie and I come from blue collar backgrounds. We just, we know how to work hard and, you know, love people basically. But, you know, at, at that point in time, you know, he's, would you like to meet this guy? So my comment was, you know, I'm in Orlando at the time and Brian lives in Newport Beach, California. My comment was, I'll walk backwards if that's what it takes to earn a shot to, to meet with this guy. And so, you know, so one night I get a call from Rush, my friend Rush, and he called me and he, he goes, you know, good news, bad news, good news. Um, he'll meet with you. Uh, and what I didn't know is behind the scenes, Rush kept pestering Brian and Brian's like, you know, fine, I'll meet with them if, if nothing for no other reason to make you stop asking me about meeting these two. So uh, <laughs> we owe, we owe Rush a, a big debt of gratitude, but, um, but anyway, so he called me good news, bad news, good news. He'll meet, um, bad news because it's tomorrow afternoon in Newport beach at the cannery, which is a restaurant in, in Newport Harbor. And so the, the, pro- I mean, this, I think I was talking to Rush at 11 o'clock at night, and I've got to be in Newport Beach the next afternoon. So we booked a flight first thing in the morning, 6 a.m., flew to L.A., flight was late, had a change in the, you know, the bathroom okay. and, you know, drive down to Newport Beach, which is, you know, it's this far on the map and it could be 45 minutes or five hours <laughs> depending on traffic. So we, we pull up like 15 minutes before because um, with Brian, you, you don't you're not you, you do not want to be late. Um so anyway, point being is we went to we went to <laughs> we went to lunch with him. He asked me questions the whole time, which was frustrating. Um, and I've told him as much because it's like I didn't come to learn about me. You know, fast track to great sleep is is to know more about myself. <laughs> um, so he asked me, you know, just great questions. He's a very good question asker. And at the end of the meal, he asked. He said, you know, he's like, I'm I'm impressed with you and your wife. And for the next thirty minutes, I'm going to stay. And if I'm, you know, ask me whatever you want about my business, if I'm knowledgeable, I'll answer. This was like, this was finally, right? This is, you know, to be able to talk to somebody like this and get unfettered access and authentic. So anyway, point being is my question was like, how do you 55,000 units? How do you actually do that? Not believe in yourself. I I got that part I had in spades, Um, but like tactically, structurally. So anyway, he provided me a very thorough uh, incredibly sufficient answer that I executed on. It's it, 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 the way we executed was our pathway to trust with him. Not that not being that that was the goal for us, but we executed what he said um, in ways that he had never imagined. Um, that was that was the kind of the, the big beginning. But the point is, when I say invest in relationship, Jamie and I at fairly good cost, you know, in time and money and resources. Plus we bought lunch, you know, which was not cheap. But the <laughs> point is I was a pretty, it was a financial and time-based investment into the potential of something. And, um, and it, it's, it's been wonderful. So that's one of the better, um, better specific investments we've ever made. Nice. And I, I certainly appreciate that you focused on the, you're not looking for the, you know, believing yourself kind of hoorah answer, sure. like the, the actual reality of owning that many units, you know, compared to, you know, one or two storage facilities is it's a completely different world. It's, it's so different and it's, it's great that you, you, you know, acknowledge that. I think that's very important. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Good question. I'm trying to think. Worst. It's a it's a pretty specific and absolute answer. Um, so probably the the worst investment I ever made was in a, a student loan consolidation company when I was twenty one or twenty two. Um, 
in in that we lost I lost 100% of my investment oh. in that in, in that investment but the, the the reason why it's a hard one to answer is um basically we were we built a successful business it was doing incredibly well we built it to about 300 employees it was you know doing all the right things and then um we were looking at going public uh, at one point wow in congress <clears throat> and and we were going up the industry was starting to compete with some of the GSEs, the government-sponsored entities, and so Congress at the time passed uh, a law, passed legislation. I can't remember the, the title of it, but basically put the industry out of business overnight. Man, yeah. So it was it was a, as I recall, it was a legislative measure to protect the interest of the GSE, and so it wasn't was it a bad model? No. Was it a bad team? No. It just. You know, you wait, go to bed one night, you wake up the next morning and it's, you have to, you, know, you don't have a business because somebody said you don't have a business, which oh, is, man. yeah, that was, that was eye opening. The government does not like competition. No governments do. So good to, good to yeah. keep that in mind. Yeah. My favorite question here at yeah. the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I don't know. The theme of the day. I mean, to me, there's, um, there's a couple. I mean, most important. Uh, I, I would say, kind of where I where I am now is, and what I've learned along the way is, you know, you know, focus on relationship. You know, focus on people. People matter. You know, in all parts of the business. And then, second to that, I would say, just be honest with, be honest with yourself in terms of, you know, a lot of times we build models and expectations around what we hope happens. Um, which in many cases are actually devoid or absent the the plain reality of the way things are. So it's it's a hope for what could and should be um, set against the actual reality of things. Um, you know, so I, I would say deal with the facts of what is. You know, and and try to you know try to deal with those. And that's kind of one of the things that I my wife and I feel like um, a gift we can give our friends and people we're we're close with is sometimes we you know we we provide feedback that is. It's, it's never intended to be harsh or critical, but we try to be, we try to just call a spade a spade. And, and we, we've realized there's so many people who dance around those hard truths. And it's actually not, in the long run, it's actually not kind because uh, it produces more pain and more suffering than just pulling the Band-Aid off. And hopefully we distribute that in a, in a way that's kind um, and not, you know, not brutal. But at the same time, we've realized it's a really valuable attribute to be able to deal with things as they really are and then plot and plan from there. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Well, Ryan, thank you for joining us today, bringing us all these great lessons. If folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to find more uh, about your company or any of that great stuff, where can they track you down? If you're struggling with sleep, reach out anytime. I'd, I'd be happy to help. Um, but no, I'm, I'm teasing. Uh, our, our, uh, my, my uh, email is ryan at elevationcg.com and our website's elevationfund.com. Great. Well, thank you for joining us once again. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying this show, please leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated and it helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.